Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by The Good Kitchen. Have you ever wished you could have delicious and healthy meals on the table in mere minutes? The Good Kitchen answers that problem. So they provide quality sourced meals, including healthy school lunches, right to your door. Their meats are grass-fed and pastured, and they use freshly sourced produce as well. And they don't just send you the ingredients like some delivery services. They send you the fully prepared chef-quality meals. You can check them out at wellnesswama.com forward slash go forward slash good kitchen. This episode is also brought to you by Primal Kitchen, all the good kitchens today. It's founded by my friend Mark Sisson of Mark's Daily Apple. The Primal Kitchen is now my source for some of my favorite kitchen staples. So if you haven't tried their delicious avocado oil mayo, including their chipotle mayo, you're seriously missing out. I have made my own mayo for years and years because there were never any good options to buy that didn't have vegetable oils in them. And now there are. Primal Kitchen has completely changed that with their products. They also have some delicious pre-made salad dressings and we use their products all the time. You can check them out at primalblueprint.com and if you use the code wellnessmama, you get 10% off any order. Hi and welcome to the Healthy Moms Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and I'm here today with a friend and my favorite um, provider of seafood. Randy Hartnell is the president of Vital Choice Seafood, which is an amazing company that carries all kinds of wild, um, wild caught and sustainable seafood. And he and his wife, Carla, founded this back in 2001. And the mission of this company is to really provide consumers with high quality, sustainable seafood and also to educate them about um both seafood and other food choices and how that impacts their health. And I have him here today because I get a lot of questions about radiation and mercury in seafood, and he'll be able to clear them up. Uh, Randy was also a fisherman for more than 20 years, and he has an amazing, incredible story. I can't wait for him to tell it. Randy, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure to be here. This is going to be fun. I know we've gotten to talk in person before, and I think this will just be a continuation of those conversations of questions I've already asked you in person. But you have a long history of fishing, and we had a great conversation about this, but it started back when you were in college. So can you kind of share that story of how you got started in fishing in the first place? Uh, sure. Yeah, I was uh, getting an English degree at Berkeley, and uh, I was I'm actually a Washington resident, and I had gone out of state, and the out-of-state tuition was pretty expensive. And uh, so I needed to find a good summer job that eventually led me to landing a job on a boat in Alaska. And uh, at the time, I was planning to finish my bachelor's degree, go on to graduate school and, uh, and just fish in the summers. And what happened over the next two or three years is I fell in love with fishing You know, out, on, out in nature. It's such a physical occupation. And, uh, you know, one of the last of the hunter gatherer jobs where you're actually catching food for people. And uh, I just totally fell in love with it. So when I got out of school, rather than go on to grad school, I ended up buying my own boat and hiring my own crews and uh, fished for wild salmon for the next 20 years, um, along with a lot of others uh, species. So it was a great lifestyle. I bet. I know there's definitely this um a kind of a culture around fishing. And I know a lot of men, that's like a, a very much of a hobby and a stress relief and something that they absolutely love. And that's amazing that you got to do it for so long. I haven't asked you this in person. Were you living on the boat at the time or was that just for fishing? I've always wondered that. Uh, good question. There are a lot of different kinds of fishing. And uh, my primary uh, occupation was uh, salmon fishing. And salmon fishing run just during the summer, a relatively short time of the year. And the nature of the fisheries is that you're uh, catching these salmon as they're migrating back from the oceans, headed up into their their uh, streams where they spawn. 
and you catch a small portion of them right before they go up, up the streams. And so therefore you're, you're close to the shore. Uh, you're not out there that long. Uh, I would typically be up four to six weeks. And uh, so during that time, yes, we would, we would stay on the boat. But then after the season, when the salmon uh, run was over, we would uh, go, go home or move on to the next fishery. Gotcha. So you mentioned uh, wild catching salmon. That's a great place I'd love to start. I think there is a little bit more of an awareness now about the difference between wild caught salmon and farmed salmon. And I know at least from my research, there's a difference in the level of, for instance, astaxanthin, the pigment, the red pigment in wild caught versus farmed. And you can even see that in the grocery store if the two are next to each other, the difference in the color. Um, But can you talk about why wild caught is important and why you would want to avoid, for instance, farmed salmon? Well, there there are a lot of reasons wild salmon is uh, preferable to farmed salmon. And I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. There are some farmed salmon that are better than others, and some people don't have access to wild salmon, so uh, uh, there are exceptions. But in general, farmed salmon is just like pretty much every other industrially raised you know, protein. It's uh, raised in an artificial environment. It's fed a lot of uh, things that real salmon, that wild salmon, don't consume. So consequently, from a nutritional standpoint, it is, uh, you know, it doesn't have, uh, it's not as nutrient dense as wild salmon. You alluded to astaxanthin. Well, that's, that's one thing that wild salmon get out in nature uh, from their diet of algae and krill and whatnot. Farm salmon don't get that. And they, uh, uh, the mm-hmm. salmon farmers uh, add a synthetic version of that to their diet to create the, uh, you know, to mimic the the pink flesh that's found in wild salmon, but it's really a synthetic version, so not nature identical. To add the nature identical version that wild salmon get for free uh, would be a lot more expensive. Uh, and, but that's just one of many uh, nutritional differences. Wild salmon are a good source of vitamin D, whereas farm salmon have almost none. Wild salmon uh, have a, a lot of selenium, which is, uh, as we talk about mercury and, and uh, contaminants, uh, selenium is important for helping us uh, handle those, and farm salmon don't have that. And then there are the sustainability issues as well. I don't believe any credible uh, environmental organization certifies farm salmon or considers farm salmon as sustainable or uh, you know the best seafood choice. Whereas wild salmon, especially Alaskan wild salmon, is uh, sort of on the super green list of every major environmental organization. So those are just a few the main differences between wild and farmed salmon. Gotcha. I started researching just farmed fish in general for a blog post and was it almost like turned my stomach to see the conditions that a lot of fish are raised in and how that impacts the ecosystem of the ocean uh, because you're creating the diseases and these close-in environments but that are still connected to the ocean and all the problems that can come from that. And on a personal level, when I was in high school, I was in 4-H and they had a big focus where I was on agriculture and wanting to expose people to agriculture. And so um, several of the trips that we took, they took us through all these different uh, agriculture places and showed us kind of tours. And in hindsight, it's hilarious because one of the places they took us was Monsanto. And they were bragging about how they're doing all these genetic modifications, which looking back, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I was in the eye of the beast. But um, they also took us to catfish farms. And I stopped eating catfish after I saw how they raised them. They were feeding them dog food that was like moldy and just like spraying it off boats. And I don't, I haven't seen any ocean uh, farmed fish, but I would assume maybe is it similar to that? And like, what is a farmed fish in the ocean? What does that look like? 
You know, we uh, literally could talk for hours about the differences between wild and farm salmon. And uh, one of my personal uh, interests is yeah, what's something you mentioned. It's the impact of these salmon farms on the uh, marine environment, because they're not necessarily uh, segregated from from the wild salmon runs. And in areas around the world where they've had salmon farms the longest, uh, for instance, in Norway, the wild runs in those uh, areas have been decimated. And uh, I'm up here in Washington State, and north of us in British Columbia, they've uh, located hundreds of salmon farming pens in the migration path of the wild Pacific salmon. And there are just a lot of problems there. So uh, like I said, from just about every way you look at farm salmon, it's a problem. And I would encourage people that have more questions to, to do what you did and just Google farm salmon because there's all the information out there that... Uh, that you could ever want to know about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll make sure I know that you guys have some information and I have a blog post as well. I'll link to those. Um, the questions I get so much, even just on recipes on my site, have to do with mercury and seafood. And obviously mercury, we know a lot of the problems that it can cause and that's not something you want to consume in large amounts. But there seems to be a lot of misinformation when it comes to mercury and seafood. And I know we've had this conversation and you have um, a lot of information about it. So let's talk about that. Um, should we be concerned about mercury and seafood and should we limit our amounts or what should we know when it comes to that? Great question. Again, uh, one of the reasons uh, that we, our business I think has been thriving for 15 years is because we provided people with a solution to that issue. Uh, should we be concerned about methylmercury? You know, there are a handful of species out there that are typically top of the food chain, predatory, uh, you know, marine species and, and fish that do, they stick around for a long time, they eat at the top of the food chain, they bioaccumulate relatively high amounts of mercury, and you wouldn't want to eat those very often. I'm talking about the big tuna, uh, as, as far as tuna, it, it often gets painted with the broad brush of just avoid all tuna, but there are 10-pound tuna that live for two or three years, and there are 800-pound tuna that live decades. And that, you know, both of those things have an impact on the amount of contaminants that you'll find in the flesh. So what we do is source, uh, you know, the, the safe end of the spectrum. Uh, in general, though, if you look around the world at the people that consume the most seafood, they tend to be the healthiest, and you find almost no evidence of toxicity from methylmercury. And in this country, uh, it's almost become a, a craze that people are so fearful of methylmercury that they avoid seafood altogether. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, carefully chosen seafood, seafood like wild salmon and, you know, the smaller species like herring and sardines and, you know, the fish that don't live very long or that eat near the bottom of the food chain, those contain just, you know, micro, minuscule uh, levels of these contaminants, which it's pretty clear that almost all people are able to process uh, without a problem. Now, I want to throw in a caveat, you know, as knowledge of genomics uh, evolves, there are some people who have uh, genetic predisposition where maybe they don't process uh, these metals as well as others. But I think that that's pretty rare. Uh, it does exist. So you may have some people out there who just cannot, you know, handle any amounts of these contaminants, but it, it, it's very rare. And, you know, there have been over 30,000 studies related to these, these fats found in seafood, omega-3 fats, and the vast majority of them show a health benefit. 
and the most uh, sophisticated, credible studies almost uh, have found consistently that the benefits of eating, again, seafood, not the top of the food chain predators that are high in contaminants, but most seafood is far more beneficial and the benefits vastly outweigh the risk. So I would say to most people, uh, you know, not to worry about mercury. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, the fear of mercury, which is very relevant in some types of seafood, um, has kind of transferred over to all of them. And I, especially women who have been pregnant, which are a lot of people listening, um, like you're told, you're kind of given this extreme fear of any seafood because of the mercury, especially when you're pregnant. And a lot of women that kind of just continues in the back of their mind, uh, even after pregnancy. And I know even from testing, there's a different, a vast difference between different types of seafood and how they're raised and caught. Um, based on the mercury levels. And you also mentioned earlier selenium. And at least some of the research I've seen is that when there is enough naturally occurring selenium and iodine imbalance in the seafood, um, that actually helps the body handle the mercury. Is that true? Or what do you what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yes, we've got a, quite a bit of information about that in our newsletter archives and on our website. But essentially what it is, is that one of the, the problems with methylmercury is it binds with selenium. They have a high binding affinity. And every cell in our body requires selenium for healthy function. And so if you have an excess of methylmercury, it basically uh, binds, the selenium binds with the methylmercury and, uh, and it's no longer available for the cell use and you get all kinds of problems. Um, you know, I'm not a biochemist or, or a scientist, but the evidence seems to be that if you're, uh, as long as you're getting adequate amounts of selenium, it's not a problem. You don't run a deficit. And the thing about seafood is it's one of the richest sources of selenium. And in almost all ocean species, you're getting a healthy dose of selenium uh, along with the trace, you know, the very tiny amounts of mercury that are in most seafood species. The exceptions to this would be, again, the, the, the big billfish, you know, marlin and swordfish and marine mammals. Some of the studies that set, uh, you know, that kind of created this fear of methylmercury were actually done on populations of people who were eating marine mammals, pilot whales in, in the Faroe Islands. And the, back when the FDA was trying to establish mercury guidelines, there hadn't been many studies showing any kind of a, a problem in people that eat, ate seafood. They went to this one study, again in the Faroe Islands, that showed these people had uh, you know, negative consequences from methylmercury, uh, but they were eating pilot whale, a marine mammal, a large, long-living marine whale that had relatively massive amounts of uh, methylmercury and other contaminants compared to the seafood that most of us can get in our grocery stores. That makes sense. And I know another concern that I hear a lot of questions about, and I honestly don't know how to answer, is what about the radiation, especially in the wake of Fukushima? Is there a danger of radiation in seafood? And how do you know if seafood is safe or not? Well, you can imagine, Katie's. Uh, I mean, we are in the seafood business, and a lot of our fish come from the, you know, the Pacific Ocean, and so we've got basically a steady stream of questions about this ever since the uh, Fukushima tragedy happened. And you know, as we always do, we look to the science, and we started sending our our samples of our seafood to uh, the most credible lab that we could find. There are a lot of charlatans out there that will tell you that you know test your, your fish or whatever. We found the most credible lab. It's called Eurofins. They have uh, labs around the world. We send our samples to one in, uh, I think they're in Louisiana. And uh, we held our breath because, you know, are we going to be out of business here if our salmon and other species are 
uh, full of radiation. And we sent 16 different species. We've sent them, I think, every year since, you know, because people are worried that the radiation is coming our way. And, uh, and the results have been extremely reassuring. We have those results on our website. But out of dozens and dozens of samples, we only had two that even broke the, the detection threshold. And just for perspective, the detection threshold is uh, on a scale of, uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the metric that they, they use, but for instance, drinking water, drinking water is safe if it has no more than 400 uh, becquerels per kilogram of these different types of uh, radiation isotopes that they're looking for. The threshold for the uh, equipment is two becquerels per kilogram. We had a halibut and a, and a, a tuna sample that hit three becquerels per kilogram. Again, 400 is considered safe. And so, uh, and then that, that was only two the, the first time we tested, and we've never, ever had a detect in any of our fish since then. So the short answer to your question is, uh, again, it, people are frightened by the headlines, but the, the fact is that it does not, the radiation does not seem to be impacting uh, the Pacific seafood that we source. Yeah, I love that you guys actually tested. That definitely is peace of mind uh, for me, and we order pretty much all of our seafood from you guys at this point. Um, we've talked about the negatives when it comes to seafood, but uh, I want to switch gears and talk about the positives because, like you said, a lot of people avoid seafood thinking that it's all tainted when that really isn't the case, and they're missing out on a tremendous amount of health benefits. You mentioned that a lot of the world's populations that are healthiest consume the most seafood, um, but let's talk about what the actual benefits of seafood are and why they're so important. Well, uh, as I said, it's uh, you know seafood is one of the most nutrient-dense foods that we have available to us. It's one of the last truly wild natural foods that we have available to us. Again, there are areas where you would want to avoid it, but uh, in general, most seafood coming from the ocean is just incredibly healthy. It's also uh, you know, a rich source of these omega-3 fats. These are primarily the cold water species, uh, again, wild salmon. And we're going to just spend a minute talking about omega-3s. I know we all hear, hear about omega-3s. I'm not sure how many people really understand or appreciate just how significant these fats are. But, you know, life, most people believe now that life evolved in the ocean hundreds of millions of years ago. And the very first brain, the very first eye spot that tran uh, transformed light energy into electrical energy was made up of these these bioactive molecules, uh, DHA and EPA. And DHA is the most just incredible bioactive molecule. And that was 500 million years ago, give or take a few millennia. And today, we still require DHA for our brains, for our eyes, for our reproductive systems. And the thing is that DHA doesn't grow in terrestrial, is not found in terrestrial foods. The thing about it is it's so unsaturated. It's a highly polyunsaturated fat. And it, it, it oxidizes when it's exposed to air. And so you only get DHA out of the marine food web. Now there are companies now producing algae. and uh, But that's why seafood is so special and so unique because it's a great source of these fats, that these long chain omega-3 fats that we absolutely require to have healthy brain function, uh, Every cell in our body, uh, but particularly our, our brain, you know, our neurons, every synapse in our brain requires DHA. And uh, throughout 
evolution, humans could convert a certain amount of the, you know, the shorter chain omega-3s found in plant foods. But uh, what's happened now is the mechanism for that conversion is being undermined by all these industrial foods that are high in these omega-6 fats. And, you know, it's kind of a complex story and I don't want to bore anybody with it, but uh, just suffice to say that seafood and again, particularly wild salmon, cold water fatty fish, they're just incredible, incredibly rich sources of this priceless uh, nutrient, these omega-3 fats. Now you can get them in supplements, but uh, really throughout human history, we've got them in food. And uh, one uh, doctor, that one of my favorite people who talks about this, Dr. Michael Crawford, who is in the UK, says that, you know, if there was something better for our brains and our eyes and our reproductive systems, if there was a molecule that was, that was uh, better than DHA, nature would have would have found it after 500 million years. And uh, when he said that to me, I just thought, wow, you know, that really kind of crystallized just how important DHA is. And now you look at what's happening around the world, we have an explosion in mental health disorders. I'm not saying it's all because people aren't getting enough uh, of these uh, special fats, but I think there's plenty of evidence that it's playing a role. Uh, mental health disorders have now surpassed cancer and heart disease combined. A lot of a lot of the scientists who have been working in this field for decades believe that the fact that we've basically taken these fats out of our diet is, is to a large degree responsible for it. Yeah, I agree. I've done that research as well, and we're very careful, even especially with my kids, to give them enough seafood now because of the DHA and the brain benefits and all the research coming out about that. And I think you're right. If there was a better one, we would have found it by now. I want to talk specifically about pregnancy a little bit more because a lot of listeners are moms and many are pregnant. And that's the time when a lot of them are getting advice to avoid seafood, especially um, large seafood like tuna. But a lot of them are getting advice to avoid all seafood. Um, and that was never my approach. Uh, in fact, it's controversial, but I will even eat um, sushi with raw fish if I'm very, if I know the source and I trust the chef because I crave that while I'm pregnant. I crave seafood so much while I'm pregnant. Um, but talk about that. Why would we perhaps not want to avoid seafood in pregnancy? And in fact, why would we maybe consider eating more of it? Uh, wonderful question. One of my favorite topics. And uh, when Carl and I were starting Vital Choice way back in, in 2001, I was, you know, I'd fished for a lot of years. I didn't really understand a lot of the nutritional aspects of seafood. And I, so I started reading up on it. And what I learned is uh, wild salmon is one of the very best foods that a, a new mom or even a, somebody who think, is thinking about getting pregnant can consume and especially uh, once a, a woman is pregnant you know this uh, this fetus has a huge need for these molecules we're talking about these omega-3 fats especially in the last trimester and I was reading a book by a uh, Harvard doctor uh, Andrew Stoll I think it was called the omega-3 effect or something like that and I read this passage just about how vital vitally important these fats are uh, for the developing fetus and the mother and that's where the name of our company came from, Vital Choice. And we actually were going to start, our, our whole business model was going to be directed at educating and providing this optimal nutrition for pregnant moms, i.e. Uh, wild salmon. 
like my wife is a graphic designer and some of our first mock-ups for our labels were pictures of little babies <laughs> on the cans. Uh, and we started a website called uh, healthymom.com, which I think you and I, or you and Seth, or Seth and I had talked about. But, and we still have that, and that's dedicated to providing information and resources for, for new moms. But uh, it's, it just tears me up when I hear uh, health professionals who are well in you and I'm sure you know this too I mean they're well-meaning but uh, when they tell moms to avoid seafood it's probably the worst advice they could give them they should say avoid you know be choose choose carefully you know you want to avoid the fish that we talked about earlier that are problematic but really if you you look at the Again, the biggest, most credible studies, there's one called ALSPAC, the Avon Longitudinal Study of Parents and Children in the UK, 14,000 parent uh, mother-child pairs studied for, I think they're closing in on 30 years now. And it was published in The Lancet uh, a few years ago. And what they found was advice, telling, advice to moms to uh, avoid or limit seafood consumption is actually causing the harm as far as... Uh, uh, cognitive uh, deficits is actually causing the harm it's intended to prevent. And the results were the women who ate the most seafood had kids who had the least developmental problems. And this was a huge study. And I know that uh, one of the authors and uh, he said, uh, so he, he has very little patience for people who continue to tell women to avoid seafood. And, you know, the science is there to support support it's one of the best things they should be eating not the worst yeah i think like any food the sourcing matters so much but i love that you're spreading the message of women getting enough healthy fats through seafood and other sources and i love that that was your kind of genesis story as well is that you guys came to this from that angle and realizing how important it was this podcast is brought to you by the good kitchen have you ever wished you could have delicious and healthy meals on the table in mere minutes the Good Kitchen answers that problem, so they provide quality sourced meals, including healthy school lunches, right to your door. Their meats are grass-fed and pastured, and they use freshly sourced produce as well. And they don't just send you the ingredients like some delivery services. They send you the fully prepared, chef-quality meals. You can check them out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash good kitchen. This episode is also brought to you by Primal Kitchen, all the good kitchens today. It's founded by my friend Mark Sisson of Mark's Daily Apple. The Primal Kitchen is now my source for some of my favorite kitchen staples. So if you haven't tried their delicious avocado oil mayo, including their chipotle mayo, you're seriously missing out. I have made my own mayo for years and years because there were never any good options to buy that didn't have vegetable oils in them. And now there are. Primal Kitchen has completely changed that with their products. They also have some delicious pre-made salad dressings, and we use their products all the time. You can check them out at primalblueprint.com. And if you use the code wellnessmama, you get 10% off any order. Um, let's talk a little bit about the difference between what you guys have and a lot of other seafood companies, because there are a lot out there, and obviously seafood is available in every grocery store, um, but there is a difference, and it's the reason I go through so much trouble to order from you guys instead of even buying fish locally. So talk about why, um, what the difference is and what you guys do that others don't. Well, it, it's not necessarily always different, but uh, you know the difference is that we are passionate about this. We, it's, our life, it's been my life for 40, 50 years now, and and um, my whole being and and our team and our whole being is tied up in 
Well, first of all, understanding seafood, understanding how perishable it is and how critical it is to take care of it. Uh, and versus uh, most grocery stores hire people to run their seafood departments that can barely tell the difference between, you know, a, a slab of halibut and a slab of tuna. Maybe they can't. <laughs> and or let alone where it came from or whether it was a large fish that maybe had a higher mercury level versus a younger fish that didn't. Uh, uh, it's just basically we we curate fish that we want to eat that, from areas and that, that are known to produce the best quality from people that, uh, you know, there's all kinds, there are all kinds of, just like in every other endeavor, there are all kinds of fishermen out there. There are ones who just want the volume to get paid the most uh, that they can get. Uh, you know, there are those who are real conscious about quality, who catch fish one at a time and, you know, take care of it when it gets on the boat, make sure it's bled and packed in ice and, uh, and grocery stores, for the most part, as we all understand, they're incredibly competitive. They're incredibly price driven, and they want the if they want if they decide that they're going to get wild salmon, they want the cheapest possible wild salmon that they can get. And then once it gets to the store, you've got a guy running the department who wants, uh, you know, to be, he's he's driven. His job depends on him focusing on that bottom line and. Generally, and I know this because we've hired, we have a person who works for us who used to run a meat and seafood department at a grocery store. They hate the seafood because these healthy fats that we were talking about earlier are so unstable and they oxidize and they go rancid and then it tastes fishy. And many people think that seafood is supposed to taste fishy because they've never really, you know, because they've had so many uh, bad ex examples or experiences. Uh, he told me that they used to, soak some of their, their fish fillets in buttermilk to try to get an extra day or two out of them in the grocery store. And, and seafood is a lost, you know, it's a, it's, it's a loser. Most of it or a good portion of it gets thrown out for the reason that I'm talking about here. So the difference is that we understand all this. We understand that seafood is perishable. We, we buy the very best that we can get. We flash freeze it, vacuum seal it, and uh, guarantee with no questions asked that it's going to be, you know, it's going to taste like it just came out of the water. And, and the way that we can do that is we are not a, a sort of a, uh, so price sensitive. We, we had to make a decision a long time ago that if you're going to compete on price, you can't have quality, uh, for the most part. And, uh, so we, you know, our fish costs more because uh, we're buying the best, we're spending more to take care of it. And we're guaranteeing that it's, going to be fantastic when you get it. And uh, so those are the main choices or, or differences, I would say. Yeah, there definitely is a difference in taste. When we started ordering from you guys, every time I would make fish, um, my husband would be like, wow, this is the best one you've ever made. Like, what did you do different? And it went on like that for a while. And I was like, honey, it's, it's not me. It's the fish is actually better. <laughs> um, but what do you carry? Because that's another thing. You don't carry every type of fish someone might find in a um, a grocery store or a fish market, um, but you carry, like you said, curated ones. So which ones do you carry and why those particular ones? Yeah, before I get to that one, I just want to say one other huge difference is there is a tremendous amount of bait and switch out there, seafood fraud. Uh, there are just studies coming out almost every year showing that people are buying things that aren't what they are sold as. There was one uh, species of Asian carp, I think, that was uh, sold. It was this was just last year, I believe, was identified as 
or sold as 18 different kinds of seafood in California seafood sushi bars. Farm salmon is frequently, I'd say almost uh, more than half the time, uh, what you're getting when, when, a, when a restaurant menu says wild. I, I, this has happened to me at least four or five times just in the last few months. Uh, it'll say wild salmon on the menu, but it's really farm. So, so that's the other thing that we really offer is uh, an authenticity. And again, that's driven by people that are just trying to buy a cheap fish and sell it as an expensive fish. So as far as your question, uh, species, uh, you know, we select fish that are sustainable. They have to be, you know, from a well-managed uh, fishery. There have been fish that we've been asked, you know, customers want us to get, but we, you know, Chilean sea bass is an example, but the fisheries are not well-managed. They may change, and if they do change, if it does change, then we'll consider it, but so these have to be sustainably, uh, fish from well-managed sustainable fisheries, they have to be, uh, we have to have access to really high-quality fish. Alaska is, is a source for most of our seafood just because they have a fantastic uh, management system in place. It's been proven over the last 50 years, and it's cold-water fish, so it's really healthy and delicious. Uh, we, we know the people up there, and... Uh, Having been in this industry for so long, we have almost family-type relationships with a lot of our suppliers. I know some of the fishermen, and so we just are connected to the resource. And if we're not connected, uh, you know, we we look very closely at it, and we have to you know, check off all these boxes. It's got to be very great, you know, good quality. It's got to be from a well-managed fishery, and uh, and something our customers want and are going to love. And I think most of our products qualify, if not all. Yeah, and I know I'd, I don't want to forget to mention that you guys have a discount for listeners. Um, the the webpage is vitalchoice.com forward slash wellnessmama, and I'll make sure we link to that in the show notes as well um, if people want to try it. But um, I appreciate the, the distinction there, and it, there really is a difference. I was shocked uh, when we first made the switch because there really is a big difference. Um, I love to ask in an interview as well, what are three things that people don't know or understand, especially about your area of expertise and research? And maybe we've already touched on a few of them, but... Um, what are those and how do you answer those people? You know, I think uh, one of the things that I, I always enjoy the most is when people discover that fish actually taste good. <laughs> there are just a lot of people out there that think that they don't like seafood. I have had people come up to our booths, uh, you know, visited our booths, I think at some of the conferences, and and they'll just kind of stand back and wrinkle up their nose and tell me how much they, they hate seafood, they don't do seafood. And uh, I will oftentimes over the years, I have I've offered to pay them. Like I said, I'll give you a dollar if you'll try just a little bite here. And if you don't like it, I'll, I'll give you a dollar. I have never once lost one of those bets. So there, there's just a general uh, belief out there by a lot of people that they don't like seafood. And it's because they've gotten bad seafood. And uh, so that's that's one, one of the things I really like to uh, get across to people. Uh, the other thing is, uh, and we did touch on this quite a bit, but the it's seafood is something to be feared. You know, if it doesn't, if it even if it tastes good, people are worried about the the mercury or the radiation, and a lot of that is a result of of just sensational headlines that really are not valid. I mean, there was one article published in the L.A. Times about how all Pacific seafood is radiated. Now, if you read down a couple paragraphs, it said, well, actually the levels are such you know, so minute that you would have to eat like 30 pounds of tuna a day to get, you know, which is ridiculous. But uh, so the second thing is that 
seafood truly is one of the healthiest foods you can eat if you can find, you know, if you if you curate it carefully. And then I think a lot of people think that seafood is, you know, fish is hard to cook or it's, you know, it's going to stink up my house or uh, when actually and you you consume a lot of it, you guys do, so you know that how true this is. It's one of the easiest things to cook. You know, fish swim around in a zero-G environment, and so the, the protein, the muscle, flesh is is uh, light. You know, we digest it easily. It cooks quickly. It's uh, just a lot of advantages uh, when it comes to cooking. You can take it out of the freezer, thaw it out in a few minutes. It cooks in five or ten minutes. And uh, so a lot of people are intimidated by fish just because they don't have a lot of experience with it. But once you get, you know, once you get the hang of it, it, it really doesn't get uh, much easier than that. So I guess those would be three three things that uh, I wish everybody knew. Awesome. And I agree. I think uh, I was afraid of fish for a long time. And now it's my go-to if I'm like running behind or have a busy day because it cooks so quickly and so easily that I'll almost always choose fish if I'm in a hurry. One other thing, Katie, is uh, uh, we've talked a bit about frozen, you know, freezing fish. Um, another thing, people think that freezing is frozen fish is inferior to fresh fish. And uh, I just attended a, a fantastic talk on this subject here a few weeks ago. And the truth is that 80% of people think that frozen, or maybe even higher, think that fresh fish is superior to frozen. But then when you do a side-by-side taste test, it, it flips. 80 plus percent people think that the previously frozen fish tasted taste better. And that goes back to these, these molecules that, uh, that oxidize, get rancid, taste fishy. And, you know, freezing uh, is nature's preservative. Uh, when you freeze and uh, vacuum pack a fish, it's, uh, you know, you protect that, protect it from degrading. You basically stop the degradation process. And, uh, so that is a, a big misperception out there that we're constantly, you know, trying to get across to people. And the other thing is, uh, you know, canned seafood, canned salmon uh, is one of the quickest, easiest, uh, most ec- relatively economical uh, product forms. I probably eat five times as much canned salmon and tuna as I do uh, the frozen, just because it's so convenient. You just pop a can, you know, take a can out of your pantry, take the, uh, open it up and Put it on a salad or pasta or rice or whatever you prefer, and and you've got all those nutrients, and great great quality, and a great flavor, and, uh, and it just doesn't get much easier. And a lot of people are turned off to canned salmon because a lot of companies put the lower quality fish in the can, and they don't have a very good experience. So we go to uh, that's one thing we do is we go to companies where where we know that they're putting the best fish in the can, and. Uh, so, uh, and that goes with our, our sardines, our tuna. And uh, so I, I would advise people to consider canned versions for a, a pantry staple. Yeah, that's a good point too. And on the note of frozen fish, I agree that the taste is actually better, but isn't most fish that is used on sushi that people consider really high quality, isn't most of that frozen first as well? Uh, absolutely. In fact, you, you would hope that it would be. I would not personally want to eat a fish that just came off a boat and had never been frozen, and that's because of a uh, parasites. Not now, not all fish have it, but a fair amount of them do. These are sort of natural predators that have been around for millions of years, and and the way that sushi bars uh, uh, get around the the risk from this is they freeze it. They freeze the fish first, and 
So that's, you know, it's something that a lot of people don't like to talk about, but it's a, it's a reality. You know, you, it's one of the, it's sort of like organic vegetables. Remember I was in an, an organic restaurant in New York and I ordered this big, beautiful organic salad and I was ready to dive in and I looked down and here's this little green inchworm cruising across uh, my bell pepper. <laughs> and, and I got really incensed and I flagged the waiter down. I said, there's a worm in my salad. <laughs> and he's, he said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, we triple wash, wash all of our produce, but, you know, it's an organic it's organic and it's basically proof that we're not using any pesticides or you know anything like that. And all of a sudden he, he somehow <laughs> kind of flipped it around to, it was a badge of honor that I had this worm in my salad. And so, uh, you know, when it comes to parasites and fish, I guess it's kind of the same thing. I mean, this is a wild animal uh, and these things exist in the natural world to a certain extent, but they become 100% harmless uh, when they've, when the fish has been frozen or can. In fact, they just basically vaporize and they're just sort of an arrangement of dispersed molecules that uh, most people would never know were there. Yeah, I'm glad we touched on that as well. And one of my favorite things from you guys is your um, salmon locks, but I, I wanted to ask you as well, since your fish is frozen, could the salmon be used raw or in something like sushi since it has been frozen? Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, what is sushi but very high quality salmon that's been flash frozen. And, you know, uh, in fact, if you go to sushisafe.com, we, we actually have that website and we'll forward you to Vital Choice. But uh, no, I mean, our, our salmon, well, all of our seafood portions are perfect for, for sushi. You just, uh, we have a product called, uh, uh, tuna tataki, albacore tuna tataki, and it's basically a seared loin of this uh, Pacific albacore tuna. And you take it out and semi-thaw it, and you just slice it, and it is fantastic. If you've never tried that, uh, I would highly recommend it. Uh, T-A-T-A-K-I, tuna tataki. We also have a salmon version of that, but it, it's really wonderful. It's always it's commonly what we will take to dinner parties, if we're asked to bring something, we'll bring a couple of these sliced uh, tuna tataki loins or salmon tataki loins, uh, you know, along with some shoyu and wasabi. And it's, it's always the first to disappear. I'll definitely give it a try. It sounds awesome. And we mentioned, obviously, your website, um, and people can get the discount at vitalchoice.com forward slash wellness mama. But if someone's new, where do you recommend they start when they get to Vital Choice? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, well, first of all, we have, you know, live chat. We have a team of uh, fantastic customer service people. So uh, if you have any questions, of course, you can go to our FAQ and search there. You can call us up. We've got a 24-7 customer service line. We've got uh, a great search feature on our website. Uh, I, I usually recommend for people, that, and we do have a lot of products, and the website has grown uh, quite a bit. You know, we have a, a salmon sampler. People often don't know, well, what, what, what's the difference between king salmon and sockeye salmon and silver salmon and pink salmon, all these different uh, salmon offerings you have. Well, we have a salmon sampler that's usually a good, uh, it's very popular for new people to try and contrast, compare the different, the different species. Um, but by all means, just give us a call. We also have a great uh, newsletter. Uh, Craig Weatherby has published more than a thousand articles for us. Uh, he's been with us almost since the beginning. And incredibly knowledgeable, always happy to answer emails if people have questions. And so you can visit our newsletter archive, 
and uh, search to your heart's content about, you know, omega threes and virtually any uh, health condition that you can imagine that, you know, where there have been studies. Again, like I said earlier, there have been thousands of studies and we've written on most of the major ones. So I guess that's, that's it. I'll make sure we link to some of those as well for anyone who wants to see the testing and the studies and the things that you guys do. But um, Randy, thank you so much for your time. I know a lot of people have a lot of questions about seafood and you definitely have expertise in this area. And thanks for clearing up a lot of the misunderstandings. Thank you for the opportunity, Katie. It's it's always a pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'll see you next time on the Healthy Moms podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.